0: Because what is imposter syndrome? It's this belief that we're going to be found out as frauds. It's this projection onto somebody else that they're going to find us out as being not as smart, not as intelligent, not as capable, not as qualified as we've led them to believe that we are. Which means that if the issue exists in our projection onto somebody else of what they will think of us, It's something that can also only really be healed or overcome in changing the way that we relate to other people as well. Welcome back to another episode of Talk Nerdy to Me. I'm your host, Alex Nashton, and today we're talking nerdy about the neuropsychology of imposter syndrome, including a breakdown of what imposter syndrome actually is, what it's not, Some of the defining characteristics of imposter syndrome, where it lives in the brain, and how to rewire yourself to become increasingly self-confident. This episode is brought to you by my 10 years of personal experience in this field, struggling with my own imposter syndrome. There are still moments when I wonder if I'm qualified or know enough to be teaching about these concepts in the realm of neuroscience. And then I have to kind of lovingly smack myself upside the head and say to myself, Alex, you have spent six years in academia intensively studying these concepts and four years before that studying them independently. It never ceases to amaze me the stories and the narratives that our precious little egos come up with to try to protect us. Unfortunately, this is something that I see a lot of in the new clients that come into my coaching practice. Whether they are trying to write a book or facilitate a TED Talk, whether they want to step into a more senior position in the company that they work for or get into a new relationship, the fear that they are going to be found out as a fraud, as not as intelligent, capable, confident, or secure as they've fooled others into believing they are is something that really gets in the way of their ability to take bold action and make decisions that actually move the needle towards creating the outcomes and actualizing the goals and the dreams that they want to bring into fruition. Given that imposter syndrome is one of the most common fears that inhibits people from taking the leaps that they want to professionally and in leadership roles, We're gonna begin with a little bit of a breakdown around what imposter syndrome is and what it's not. So imposter syndrome is not an actual psychological syndrome or diagnosis. It's not something that you're gonna find in the DSM-5. Imposter syndrome is defined as a psychological pattern in which an individual doubts their accomplishments and has a persistent internalized fear of being exposed. This includes feeling like a fraud and attributing your success to external factors, almost as if your success was a fluke or a mistake, not something that you actually worked for or earned. One of its main characteristics, which I've briefly touched on in other episodes before, is a concept called pluralistic ignorance. Pluralistic ignorance is a phenomenon that occurs when we each doubt ourselves individually, thinking that nobody else does the same. Imposter syndrome is not actually a disease or a disorder, and there aren't really set characteristics that can be used to diagnose it. And even though it can't be diagnosed, it's something that's super, super prevalent. And there are some notable clinical symptoms that are frequently reported with it. And those include things like generalized anxiety, a lack of self-confidence, depression, Frustration related to the inability to meet self-imposed standards of achievement. And something that we'll come back to in a little bit is that imposter syndrome disproportionately affects marginalized individuals, including women and people of color. Even though imposter syndrome is not a diagnosable disorder, understanding what it is and its impact is something that actually really, really matters. Because when left unchecked, it can lead to stress and anxiety. It does have effects on our physical and emotional health. It can lead to relationship issues both in the workplace and in our personal lives. It can stop us from taking the action necessary to reach our full potential and actualize our dreams. In an article called The Neuroscience of Imposter Syndrome for Leaders by Dr. Amay Sanchez, the physiological impacts of imposter syndrome are outlined and they include things like increased levels of cortisol. Imposter syndrome is associated with lower levels of serotonin. It can lead to lower levels of dopamine and lower levels of testosterone. And the reasoning behind this is that the constant fear of being found out as a fraud results in more everyday anxiety. This kind of stress drives up cortisol, which subsequently inhibits our productivity, our motivation, our health, our work performance. Imposter syndrome also results in lower levels of the neurotransmitter serotonin, which dramatically impacts our mood and our happiness levels. And if you remember back to other episodes of this podcast, like, for example, episode 7, where I talk about anxiety in greater depth, you might know that serotonin is Not only a neurotransmitter that regulates our mood, but it also regulates our sleep, our appetite, and it enables us to feel like we have this sense of control over our circumstances and our environment. When serotonin levels are really low, our lives tend to feel really unmanageable and out of control. Since imposter syndrome can lead to lower levels of dopamine, it also impacts our ability to feel motivated. This means that when we experience imposter syndrome, we have lower levels of motivation, which subsequently make it harder to take the action steps necessary to disprove the imposter syndrome that we're feeling in the first place. Dopamine also plays a role in our experience of self-esteem. So when our dopamine levels are lower, our self-esteem is subsequently lower. We think less of ourselves, and then we become more and more afraid that people are going to find us out as frauds or imposters. And because the inner monologue associated with imposter syndrome is something that impacts our feeling of self-confidence, it can also lower our testosterone levels, which as leaders and facilitators is something that can negatively impact our ability to take risks and make decisions that are ultimately of the highest and best service for the company or the organization that we are working for. Testosterone is something that is responsible for our willingness and ability to take risks. So when testosterone levels are low, we are literally less capable of taking the bold action necessary to make leaps of faith and go for our dreams. Again, whether that's writing a book or facilitating a TED talk or getting into a new relationship, all of those things are risky and require a certain amount of testosterone in our system. When our confidence levels are lower, as is the case when we experience imposter syndrome, we'll subsequently be less and less likely to take risks. Needless to say, this shit matters. Imposter syndrome matters. And unfortunately, there are a lot of behaviors that we participate in that perpetuate it. In a research article written by Pauline Clance called Imposter Syndrome in High Achieving Women, there are essentially four different types of behaviors she summarized that women tend to participate in that perpetuate imposter syndrome. The first is diligence and hard work to hide being exposed as an imposter. So women who experience imposter syndrome tend to overwork or overserve or over-deliver as a way to try to mask and mitigate the way that they feel like imposters. The second way that women perpetuate imposter syndrome is by participating in people-pleasing behaviors as a way to hide what they really think and feel and believe. And unfortunately, this does actually create a sense of imposterism, because when you are constantly brushing aside and trying to hide and trying to contain and keep secret the way that you really feel and the boundaries that have actually been violated or crossed, or the quality of work that is actually not up to the standard that you need it to be, then you are actually going to create a false front that is people-pleasing in an effort to avoid them seeing the ways in which you feel like a fake or a phony or a fraud. The third way that women perpetuate imposter syndrome is by seeking and gaining admiration from a respected authority figure or mentor. In other words, when you are constantly trying to win the approval of someone who is more senior to you or someone who you look up to or someone that you really admire either personally or professionally, in a way it kind of inhibits you from stepping into a role where you are actually the leader, where you are the person who can be looked up to, where you are the person who can be admired. So in this way, imposter syndrome perpetuates the sense of hierarchy where you maintain a position of being subversive to whoever is above you in this hypothetical hierarchy. The fourth way that women perpetuate imposter syndrome is by intentionally appearing to be less confident than they actually are. And the idea behind this is that if women do not appear to be confident in themselves, then the expectations that others have of us will be lower. And therefore, if we do ever get exposed as a fraud or as an imposter, the distance to fall from grace is significantly lower. And so we inhibit ourselves and cap ourselves and keep ourselves small in an attempt to avoid being exposed as phony or as a fraud. And in doing so, we keep ourselves in this never-ending self-sabotage loop. So where exactly does imposter syndrome come from? Imposter syndrome has its roots in what is known as the looking-glass self-concept, which essentially holds that we as human beings try to understand ourselves through our projections of what we assume other people are thinking of us. So it's this idea of putting ourselves into the perspective of the people that are around us and formulating our identity, formulating our judgments and our opinions of ourselves based on what we think they're thinking about us. If we were to zoom out and look at imposter syndrome from an evolutionary biology perspective, one of the theory holds that imposter syndrome kind of rose out of this natural awareness that we have of social hierarchy and social structure. And because of that, it might have risen out of an evolutionary fear of failure. Basically, biologically, it seems like the HPA axis and the autonomic nervous system stress response is primarily the thing that is responsible for the physical manifestations of imposter syndrome. And what we know about the HPA axis and the autonomic nervous system is that it's compelled to keep us alive in life-threatening situations. So imposter syndrome may be a result of this lingering need to succeed in order to survive and subsequently may be related to some of the reasons why perfectionism still exists as well. The idea is that thousands and thousands of years ago, if the other members of our tribe perceived us as being successful of hunting or gathering or protecting ourselves or keeping ourselves safe, that it was more likely we would be accepted and a revered member of the tribe and subsequently less at risk for being ostracized and kicked out and vulnerable to predation or the elements which would decrease our chances of survival. So because of that, upholding an illusion of success is something that would have benefited our ancestors from an evolutionary biology perspective. In other words, fear of failure Or at the very least, fear of being perceived as a failure is something that would behoove us from a very primal autonomic nervous system perspective. And if we're going back and looking at social hierarchy again, anytime there's a change in social quo or social status or social dynamic, there's a greater risk for rejection and ostracization. So in the same way that our ancestors evolved a fear of failure, they also evolved a fear of success because success would mean rising up in the social hierarchy and subsequently disrupting the status quo, disrupting the current dynamic. So fear of success and fear of failure are both things that contribute to our current modern day experience of imposter syndrome. There's also another theory that holds that imposter syndrome might have risen out of the evolutionary pressures for us to feel the emotion shame and in doing so compel us to act in ways that are more likely to keep us accepted and in connection and belonging to our tribe. I have said this so many times on this podcast and it's so worth repeating once again. Our brains do not create these issues purely for the sake of making us miserable. Our brain creates things like anxiety or imposter syndrome or codependency out of what it believes is most likely to help us survive, which also includes being accepted and loved and chosen as members of our tribe. Social belonging was just as imperative to our ancestors as being able to fight or being able to run away from danger. Being a part of community is an essential survival strategy. So with all of that in mind, let's begin to shift gears a little bit and start looking at where imposter syndrome lives in the brain. Imposter syndrome is primarily existing within our brain's limbic system or our brain's emotional system. The two areas that it utilizes the most are, number one, your hypothalamus. If you've ever heard me teach about the hypothalamus before on this podcast, you might know that this part of your brain is responsible for what is known as the four Fs. So fighting, feeding, fleeing, and reproduction. I'll let you insert your own fourth F word there. But this part of your brain is responsible for your essential survival skills, both the survival of yourself individually and that fourth F which is essential to the survival of our species. Imposter syndrome also utilizes the amygdala which is this teeny tiny little almond-shaped region of your brain that is primarily used in your fear response. So a lot of the emotional experience that imposter syndrome is evoking is fear and anxiety, a compulsion to flee primarily, to hide, to run away, and if you're anything like me, maybe to feed, maybe to stress eat when you feel it coming on. When these two regions of your brain are activated by imposter syndrome, so your amygdala and your hypothalamus, so your HPA axis, your body stress response and its fear response, what happens is that this very primal part of your brain comes online. And in the thick of all of that stress, your neocortex, so the outermost layer of your brain, begins to actually go offline. Your neocortex is responsible for a lot of your brain's higher level, more abstract thinking, which usually means that when you find yourself in a state of imposter syndrome, when all of those emotions, when all of those feelings, when all of those thought patterns are coming up, it's incredibly difficult to think yourself out of it or talk yourself out of it or rationalize or reason yourself out of it. But the one thing that has been proven over and over and over again to be really helpful in the experience of overcoming imposter syndrome is to have open and honest conversations about it. So conversations where you are actually outing yourself as an imposter, especially to other people who also identify as having imposter syndrome. And in the short term, this can be incredibly, incredibly stressful. Because the one thing that imposters fear the most is being found out, is being exposed. But as soon as we out ourselves, we immediately begin to decrease our levels of anxiety. And as soon as those levels of anxiety start to decrease, we make it more and more likely that this very primal and very primitive part of our brain, the HPA axis, the amygdala, can start to decrease their activity. And in doing so, give the neocortex the opportunity to come back online again so that we can begin to rationalize and reason and start disproving the belief systems that lead us to feel like imposters in the first place. If you have not yet listened to episode 36 of Talk Nerdy to Me with Victoria Lutzhoft on money, sex, shame, and the power of outing yourself and having really uncomfortable conversations, I highly, highly recommend that you download that episode and listen to it as soon as possible. In that episode, Vic gives some really practical tools and tips that you can use to begin having conversations like this where you are actually outing yourself and the things that you would rather keep secret or hidden or the things that you are ashamed of. And not proven in any statistically significant ways, but in the Alex Nashton School of Philosophy, The homework assignment that I will give those of you that are listening to this episode and are like, yep, I'm definitely imposter, is the same homework that I give to all of my clients, which is to really be in the acknowledgement and the celebration of your successes, so to really take ownership of the things that you have done, that you have achieved, that you are really proud of. And what that might look like is literally creating a victory log or a list of all of your wins, a list of all of the things that you have achieved in your life that you can be in the practice of being really proud of and taking ownership over. Likewise, to be in the active practice of outing yourself on and taking ownership over your failures too, of having and yielding the ability to say out loud, this is where I fucked up. This is where I am imperfect This is where I'm flawed. This is where I did not meet my own perfectionistic standards. Because as we talked about before, perfectionism and imposter syndrome have a lot in common. And using every single one of those failures as a catalyst to grow and to do better and to learn from your mistakes and also to share with others what those mistakes were and get their feedback and support too. In my experience, imposter syndrome is something that can really only be healed in relation to other people and through our interactions with other people. Because what is imposter syndrome? It's this belief that we're going to be found out as frauds. It's this projection onto somebody else that they're going to find us out as being not as smart, not as intelligent, not as capable not as qualified as we've led them to believe that we are. Which means that if the issue exists in our projection onto somebody else of what they will think of us, it's something that can also only really be healed or overcome in changing the way that we relate to other people as well. So talk nerdy to me homework assignment. I know you all have been loving the homework over here. Share with one person Where in your life imposter syndrome exists? What is the one thing you are really afraid of someone finding out about you? Give it a shot and then send me a message over on Instagram at Alex underscore Nashton and let me know how it goes. And if you want to just share with me what it is that you have imposter syndrome over, I check all my DMs very regularly. Sometimes it takes me a few days but I love reading your messages and I respond to every single one. If you have found this episode to be super informative and helpful, but feel like you're still struggling with how to begin outing yourself more and how to really begin the process of rewiring the circuitry associated with imposter syndrome, you can click the link in the show notes and complete the application for a complimentary 90-minute long coaching call with me. In this call, we can dive a little bit deeper into what the nature of your imposter syndrome is and where the greatest opportunity for you to begin outing yourself and really stepping into a higher degree of confidence may be. Just a quick little aside that completing the application is not a guarantee that we will get a call on the calendar. So really thoughtful, intentional, and thorough answers are appreciated. The more you can share in the application, the deeper we'll be able to dive when and if we do get on a call together. Oftentimes, there is a wait list for these complimentary 90-minute calls, so just know that either myself or a member of my team will reach out to you as soon as there's space in my calendar available. That being said, we are going to conclude this episode with a little bit of a nerd alert. As many of you know, I am living over here in Bali, Indonesia, and one of my 2024 goals is to create a Talk Nerdy to Me merch line. I'm thinking bucket hats. I'm thinking beanies. I'm thinking the coziest sweatpants you've ever seen in your life. And I'm thinking t-shirts with my face on it and a million brains and imaginary tigers and burritos. And I would love to hear from all of you what kind of Talk Nerdy to Me merch feels the most exciting to you send me a dm on instagram let me know and keep your ears open for when the nerdy merch line becomes available and finally before we close out this episode i would love it if you could hit pause and leave this podcast a five-star review and a written review on whatever platform you're listening on in doing so you help get this podcast into the ears and brains of more listeners like you last but not least i would love to thank you the listeners It has meant so much to me that you've been tuning in from week to week, that you've been sharing this show with your friends, with your family, that you've been sharing it on social media. Thank you so much for your willingness to come on here every Wednesday and talk nerdy to me.